On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we have not one, not two, not three, but four TV shows for your viewing pleasure. And not to pull a spoiler in the opening seconds of the podcast, but it's a pretty good week for telly. Specifically, we catch up with Sarah Phelps' most recent labyrinth and mystery in Dublin Murders, look into the soul of contemporary romance in Amazon's modern love, witness East meeting West by way of Japanese gangsters and Kelly MacDonald in Giri Haji, and join Paul Rudd, Ashlyn B, and Paul Rudd in Netflix's Living With Yourself. And, and, to top it all off, We Miss B makes her pilot TV podcast debut, joining me to talk about her show, our show, and why I'm entirely wrong about comedy. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Picard News podcast, in which we delve beneath the uniform to the very latest developments from Starfleet Command. Uh, As we kick off this in-depth Warp Speed special, I should take a moment to beam in my two trusty bridge officers... At Tactical, we have a Klingon officer currently on assignment as part of Starfleet's officer exchange programme, serving as first officer on the Klingon vessel Belhend. She is a warrior of no small renown. She is Terry of House Chicks. Chicks, Terry. Chicks is apparently, I don't quite know how to pronounce it, but that is Klingon for white. I looked it up on the internet. Oh, I thought you were doing it because it sounds like chicks and I have oh. a vagina. No, it wasn't. It wasn't intentionally sexist that's just what the Klingons sound like anyway joining us at the con is an officer who truly is one of a kind but only since he was freed from the collective some weeks ago you may be a celebrity you may not want to be his friend but resistance is futile it's Boyd of Borg tertiary adjunct to Unimatrix Pilot TV Hello, Boyd. You've saluted the self-parody in this uh, very early stage this week. I mean, I was hoping you'd do the whole intro in Klingon, but I mean, you've, you've, you've ducked out. That wow. might be asking a bit much. I have to say, I have to say, we are entering a podcast that follows the New York Comic Con, which debuted a trailer for Picard, mm. a trailer for Star Trek Discovery, and a trailer for season four of The Expanse. I bet you Jesus. are all looking forward to talking about those three things. What was the second? Uh, Star Trek Discovery. I thought that was the same thing. <laughs> I was like, uh, what, they're different things? No yes. wonder you're not that interested in Picard. No, it's Picard, Discovery, show. The Expanse. It's like a trifecta of nerdy spacefaring goodness. Well, well is The Expanse no. linked? No, no, no. Oh. in no way. No, that's Except, totally misleading. Yeah, no, have I mis- like, I've, yeah I've because misled. the first two are Star Trek and the second one isn't. Third one isn't. Not everything has to be Star Trek, Boyd. It's all, it's all one big happy sci-fi family. Was. Oh, see, no, I didn't. Um, but yeah, so, okay, okay. Mm. you know what? Let's jump right into the Picardness of it all. Did you watch the trailer? Wait a minute. You're jumping straight to news. Well, I you're, thought, thought we'd we, we just, just embrace this and do it now. Let's get it out the way. Okay. Let's, let's spare okay. our I mean, listeners. to be fair, your fans, your fan base, yeah. of which of which is weirdly large <laughs> on social media, are clamouring yeah. for like some kind of spoiler special, yeah. half an hour, I mean, maybe even three hour yeah. analysis of the trailer. I have booked the booth all afternoon. Fair enough. Mm. Um, I did watch it, yeah. And, and, and even I, who, who am a... Even I, who am a... <laughs> A passing fan, if you like, of the Next Generation um, series. I was a huge fan of original Star Trek, mm. and for me, that's still the the golden Star Trek. Uh, even I thought I was other exciting. Yeah, they've got like, loads of people from Next Generation. What was your back. favourite bit? Uh, uh, I can't remember. I watched it a week ago. Excellent. Um, there, there's a lot. Terry, did you watch it? Nope. 
You planning to? Nope. Okay, then. What was your favourite bit? Uh, I mean, oh, what to say? I mean, there's so much. There's an original Romulan bird of prey in there. That was always nice to see. There well, was, I definitely uh, didn't realise that. Seven of nine dual-wielding phase rifles. That was quite fun as well. Yeah. Um, there's an implication that she might, if you look at her uniform carefully, be working for the Romulans in some capacity. That was quite fun. You see her hugging someone. Could it be Chakotay? That'd be a bit <laughs> weird, but they were having a thing at the end of Star Trek Voyager. Um, what else was in there? Jonathan Del Arco made an appearance as Hugh, the self-aware individual boy. Borg from the episode I Borg from Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, we see number one, not the dog, Terry, not the dog, but the actual number one, William T. Riker, uh, played by Jonathan Frakes, and Marina Sirtis as Counselor Troy. So there's, there's, there's a lot of goodness in there. There's lots to unpack. For you, I mean, you already are, because you're already... Am I already this? I'm already boring everyone. The um mm. the Picard trailer news to oh, the front I'm, of the I'm podcast, um, which is, you know, which is... Which is, let's face it, scary Un- and naughty. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, and you've already banged on about it quite a lot, but you know, it's fine. It, it was good. It was a very. And they good also trailer. announced. And they also announced that when it arrives, which is more important, isn't it? January twenty three, off the top of my head. They did, yeah. Uh, yeah. Two thousand twenty. January twenty three. Yes. Yeah. Twenty third of January. January twenty three. Start date oh one two three two oh. Yeah. Um, Your face while you said that. Oh my God. <laughs> like, literally, this, it's not even, I, do, I wouldn't use the word smug. Um, I would. I would. <laughs> In my was, elements, perhaps. It's like an it. entirely new. Mm. It's, it's like there should be a German word invented for what your face just did. It's, it's sort of, what's the German for unbridled joy? German, they probably don't have a word for unbridled joy. Unbridled masturbatory joy. Yeah, I think we need a German word for that. I know we have a number of uh, Deutsch listeners, so if you could come up with a compound German word for unbridled masturbatory joy, uh, we will reveal it on next week's podcast when I talk about this again. But yeah, so it was was a good trailer. The Discovery trailer. Wankenfreuder. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> All right, Wankenfreuder it is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, continuing the theme of Wankenfreuder, the, the Discovery trailer I thought was quite nice because that shows the new era of that now that they're in the future and unfettered by the existing timeline and canon. Seems like they're going to take some risks there and that's very exciting, which is very true of The Expanse as well. So, Terry, you're going to end up watching this because obviously we're going to review it. But this is a good place to get into The Expanse because season four is not just where they skip to Amazon, so it'll be sweary, fucking A, uh, but also it's like, I think it's a bit of a cutoff, like it's a bit of a new era. So it's like the close of, you know, the first storyline and it's the opening of another broader storyline. So it's, uh, it's probably a good jumping in point for you. Won't that be fun? You are. Excellent. So it's now so, fucking expanse, is it? It's the fucking expanse now. <laughs> yeah. Or expanse I'm fucking, surprised you, you didn't go to New York Comic Con because, you know, this amount of pure yeah. Jamesian, diaresque <gasps> stuff, and you weren't there. I know. It's amazing they did it without me. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, getting back to the normal structure of the podcast, uh, what have you been watching this week? Um, I am halfway through El Camino, the um, film, but and yet on TV because <laughs> it's not really in cinemas and won't be eligible, for example, for the Oscars because it is a are TV. Are you going to call Irishman TV? What would you no. call the Irishman a film? <sighs> it's showing I mean, the cinemas. Irishman is showing in cinemas and is 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 um, valid for the Oscars, whatever the word was. It um, you know eligible. eligible, eligible. Thank you, mm. Val- and valid. Film um, is film. All I would say is film isn't where and how you see it. Cinema is where and how okay. you see it. Film isn't where and how you see it. Oh, okay. Um, Continue. Anyway. anyway. Could I just say, <laughs> your face when you did that was the equivalent of my face. <laughs> yeah, it was. When I talk about yes. Picard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the film or isn't it a film debate continues, but the actual um, 
belated one-off sequel, feature-length sequel to Breaking Bad, El Camino. So far, an, half, an hour in of, of its two hours, I'm very much enjoying it. I've read, I read before I got to watch it, I read, so it arrived this morning, recording this on the morning of, what is it, the something or other of October? 11th. Friday, thank you, the 11th, when it arrived on Netflix. Um, and immediately, very quick, nerdy people start reviewing it as fair enough and someone was said on Twitter I saw someone saying on Twitter oh this is very self-indulgent who needs it what's the point of it it's pointless you know to go back I'm like well because we love those characters we love that show and mm. we're going back to it and it's to- that everything's pointless really what's the point of anything what's the point of anything particularly the nihilism rules yeah. oh that was uncalled for but <laughs> so I'm really really enjoying it and that's the point of it and you get to see roughly what happened to Jesse at the end of Good. right at the end it picks up right from the end of the last of the finale of Breaking Bad which is one of the great finales in TV history I'm, of one of the great shows in TV history and I'm loving it so far and it's very cinematic I should say so the original show was cinematic it was but it was definitely TV this is widescreen which is different and new and I feel like the way it's shot is to give Terry <laughs> to underline Terry's point much more cinematic and feels like it is made to be seen in cinemas Oddly, considering it is made to be on Netflix. Well, and they and they, we should say that they have said explicitly this is Breaking Bad, the movie. Yes. That this is a movie of the TV show. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Quite clearly, yes. that that's the case. <laughs> yes. Well, fair enough in terms of what it looks like because it, it does look lush. Okay. And I'm going to mention one other th- show. This is my equivalent of Terry's. You know those shows that Terry mentions, like The Apprentice and such, which are comfort. TV, um, Bake Off you got into mm-hmm. this year, shows that you want to have there which give you warm glow and make you feel better about the world and oh, yourself oh, and life. Oh, so you mean like reality TV which we are yeah. sort of almost not allowed yeah. to discuss because this is the part of the TV well, we podcast, don't, those ones. We don't review them, but we are allowed to mention them in the things we're watching section, I feel. Because uh-huh. Terrace at the All right, that's a loophole. Anyway, this isn't reality TV. This is, an ent- this is a panel. Would I lie to you? It's the greatest show on television. Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. Sorry, then. what do you think I was going to say? Strictly come dancing. Oh, no. God, don't we, start. I'll leave that to you. But would I lie to you, the single greatest panel show in the history of television, it is Rob Brydon, David Mitchell. It is What's fantastic. the basic setup? Explain it to me. Lee Mack. It is, um, it's, it's a bluff show. So it's famous people telling stories about their lives, which may or may not be true. And it's up to the other team to guess if they're true or not. So it's about can you bluff? Can you make up a story on the spot based on what they give you on the card? So the card might say, um, I once danced with Donny Osmond, uh, slow danced with Donny Osmond on a TV show, which is like would be my one, right? And you have to guess whether that's true or not. And then they ask lots of questions and they delve into the story. And it's just, it's a very simple idea, but there's, it's all about the interrelationship between Rob Bride and the host, Lee Mack as like the working class northern guy, and, and David Mitchell as the posh southerner. And so, so there's kind of caste conflict, class conflict going on between the three of them. Not unlike our podcast. Not unlike a podcast, exactly. And it is just, once you get into it, it's so brilliantly entertaining. And Victoria Coral Mitchell is in the new series on day. David Mitchell's team, and that alone is a joy. I my uh, boyfriend's obsessed with this. Oh, I don't good. get it. He made me watch really? it. I'm like, really? You just I, you oh. make up a story in which one's meant to be f- fake. I mean, who gives a oh, fuck? Fuck. You, you need to. Oh, okay. I need and to he, he, he said it's all. Of, oh, it's yeah. the dynamics. Yeah, and it's he, the dynamic, diff- yeah. They're different ways. They're funny, and I was like, oh, maybe it's a man thing. God. No, I don't think so. But the, the episode with Bob Mortimer, the best. Has he, has he shown you an episode with Bob Mortimer? Because he, he's he, no, not yeah, others. maybe. I don't oh, know. Okay. Right, okay. Yeah. Anyway, it's on 9.30 Fridays, BBC One. So, Terry, 
Tell us about Strictly Come Dancing. Well, okay, so there's two things. I'm going to start with one you won't shout at me for before I get to the one you almost certainly will shout at me for. So The Affair, season five, which we reviewed when it started and is one of the few things, actually, I've really kept up with. Um, And we talked at the start when we reviewed it about the fact that it's quite unusual because... Half their casters fucked off, so Joshua Jackson's no longer in it. Pacey Forever, he bought a wall, um, <laughs> and Ruth Wilson, who's obviously one of the people having the affair in the beginning, is no longer in it. Um, and there's a time jump, and Anna Paquin was essentially part of that time jump, paying Joni, the daughter of Cole and Alison. And I was quite cynical about whether this could work. I am so bang into this entire thing um, for a couple of reasons, one of which is um, uh, Maura Tierney, who plays Helen, is just kind of like come to the fore of the entire thing. She was always incredible. I mean, she was great in ER um, uh, as Abby Lockhart, but here she absolutely steals everything. She's got this new um, awful boyfriend in it, this Hollywood guy. Um, Clay Spang. Clay Close bang from from uh, yes, 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 yes. Sorry, um, was he shouting at me? <laughs> Clash bang. <laughs> the artist formerly known as Clash Bang. Yeah. Um, uh, Josh Stamberg, we should say. Um, I I'm loving it. I parts of it don't necessarily fundamentally work, but I don't care because the affair at the heart of it is quite um, a little bit trashy and soapy, and you've got these amazing caliber actors in it, but it's a little bit. Um, uh, Oh, just just soapy is the best way to describe it. So I'm living for the melodrama of the affair and I'm very much enjoying it every Sunday night. But the other thing that I'm enjoying more has to be said is Strictly Come Dancing, which I've avoided like the plague for many, many years. My nanny used to watch it a lot. She loved it. Very popular, I, I hear. Um, and uh, I am pregnant at the moment and what that means is I am going out far less. Um if you've ever tried to go to a pub and not have a drink what the fuck is the point it's dead boring so i've been staying in quite a lot um or going to the pictures and i was staying in last saturday night and stumbled upon strictly come dancing on film week so on film week they choose a film and they dance a song from that film dressed up as those characters um and it was sit i was like oh this is fairly nuts um until annika rice says oh i'm doing kill bill and you go i'm sorry what (laughs) and she comes out dressed as beatrix kiddo um in the yellow jumpsuit from the uh, fight with the crazy 88 and does a charleston to um uh what was the song Uh, it was the song that plays during the fight in the crazy 88 i mean (laughs) it was the maddest thing i've ever seen a she can't dance um bless her but it was, if you've ever seen Kill Bill, and obviously the context of that film is incredibly dark, done to the Charleston, which is the most upbeat thing ever, it was the maddest thing. And then the next night, spoiler, she got voted out. And they always uh, do their final dance to the same song, which is your, uh, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion from <laughs> Titanic. So you've got Annika Rice dressed as Beatrix Kiddo. Dancing to My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion from Titanic. And at that point, I honestly was like, I feel like I've been sniffing glue. This is the maddest thing I've ever seen. But also, British telly is amazing. Like, you know, US telly with your high production values and blah, 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 and your, you know, amazing narrative arcs. Give me Annika Rice, like, dicking about 
on their dance floor in a completely inappropriate and mad way. And apparently I am all here for it. Maybe it's because it was film week. I don't know, but... Go How on. have I not been watching this for like a decade? The next issue of Park TV is going to take an interesting turn. But yeah. am I the alone in this, Boyd? No, on, no, of course. Out. Yeah, this is my world. This is my other world where I have Christ. to watch things like this anyway. Yeah, of course. It's, it's amazing, yeah. I mean, I'm more of an X-Factor man, of course, but Strictly it is, it is a remarkable thing. It is, it is like... But it could exist nowhere. My thing is I watch it and I'm like, this could exist nowhere else in the world. This is British eccentricity... Yeah. To, I know the format exists in mm. lots of other countries. Dancing with the Stars. But Dancing with the Stars. But <laughs> they, if you watch oh, Dancing oh, no, with the Stars... No, I'm, I'm with you. I was it's in LA three weeks yeah. ago and I watched Dancing with the Stars and it had Dawson, by the way, yeah. who's amazing. Um, uh, James Vanderbeek, James I should say. But it was, you know, polished yeah. and smooth and yeah. cool. This is not polished. Yeah. It's not smooth. It's, it's not cool. Yeah. It's shambolic. It's like, it's farcical. It's so inappropriate and weird in places. It is so brilliantly, beautifully British. And I'd like to take a moment to say I was proud to be British yeah. at that moment. And didn't uh, one of the contestants fell over, didn't she? On the yeah, way. she yeah. fell over. And <laughs> this then, is gold. James, this is gold. Come on. She tripped up and she then he tried to pick her up. Yeah. And he, she was like, no, no, just keep going. And then she went upstairs and she fell over again. And her ex-husband, who she cheated on last season, was stood behind giving her the dead eye. It's like, oh. I don't, James has just about managed to pay some kind of attention to that. Um, but I was actually listening. I, I mean, like... with absolute contempt, that kind of goes without yeah. saying, but I was yeah. kind of listening. Because yeah. the Empire WhatsApp group was awash with, with tweets and <laughs> pictures and stuff and about memes. this on the weekend, and I had to mute a lot of you. But, I, um... I came in on Monday yeah. morning and said, can you imagine who in this room muted the Empire WhatsApp <laughs> yeah. group this weekend? I'm surprised you didn't remove yourself. Oh, God, it was very tempting. Yeah. <sighs> so, okay. James, what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Well, apart from Battlestar Galactica, which I'm obviously ploughing on. Don't tell I... the bride. <gasps> Did you watch that? <laughs> no, I'm just, oh I'm just trying to find out the least <laughs> likely thing that James would watch. I don't know what that is, but no, I wasn't watching it. Uh, no, I was catching up on The Good Place. Oh, OK. So I watched the first couple of Good Places. <laughs> and but it's like, ah. The Good Place, so The Good Place... Wait as... a minute, well, random though, because it, the most recent series finished like a while ago. No, oh, didn't it just started. Oh, it just started. Yes, oh, yeah, you remember right, we were going to review it on this very yeah. podcast, but they didn't make it available. Oh, yeah, right, well, the sorry. first two have dropped, probably three by the time people hear this. And um, and it's fine. <laughs> oh, God. Like, no, it is. Like, it's one of these things like... So The Good Place was one of the best comedies on TV, and it had two incredibly strong seasons, and then it just went off the boil. And I was really hoping that season three was a blip, an anomaly. But this is the fourth and final season. And so far, it's not bad. It's not great. It's fine. And it, I just... I, it, it is fine. It is the final <laughs> season, and I think it is time for this show to shuffle off to The Good Place, because I think it's. I think it may have run its course. Like, they're doing... Like, the gags are, are, are fine, <laughs> but oh they're God. the same gags. You know what I mean? It's the same things over and over again. And for a show that's reinvented itself so many times and done so many incredibly interesting and bold and groundbreaking things, it feels like they're now kind of retreading a very familiar territory. They may have some massive rug pull just around the corner. Who knows? Maybe episode three, which will have aired in between recording this and airing it was the greatest thing ever on television but I doubt it do you know can I just say I was thinking of The Good Fight because I got confused I'm uh, not an idiot I'm aware yes. the good I'm behind on The on Good Netflix. Fight actually <laughs> yeah. I'm behind I still have to watch the rest the of The Good Fight season. which was great um, there was nothing fine about that no it's good that's very yeah. good very good but I'm, I'm I was disappointed that The Good Place yes. <laughs> isn't yes. outstanding in its yes. final season it's not. Okay. it's not but it might be we're okay. only yeah, um, two yeah. episodes early in days. Two early days early days it may become awesome and I should emphasise it's not bad it's fine. Fine. 
Should we get into news? Yes. I mean, we've covered off uh, a degree of the news already, <laughs> yes. but I'm sure there are other things to talk about. Who wishes to kick us off? I could do three stories in one. Wow. Oh. There are three cinema auteurs, I'm calling them, who have announced TV projects this week. Okay. Are you aware of this? So I'm going to reel them off in one go. Do it. Alfonso Cuarón. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Is going to television. He's got an a multi-year overall deal with the Apple. Expanse seasons five, six, and seven, which is <laughs> yeah. unexpected. I thought whatever. Um, Apple, so Apple TV Plus he signed with. There must have been a mini, I'm reckoning, war among the various streaming services, yeah. but they've snapped him up for various projects and with his production company, um, which he will be involved in, in various ways. And his last TV show was Believe on NBC, which wasn't very good. Mm. So, but that's interesting. Okay, Dario Argento, right? Beloved of horror nerds like. Yeah. Yes. Um, is going to direct an entire series called Longinus or Longinus, however you pronounce it, long with I-N-U-S at the end. It's not what it sounds like. I know, not long anus, involving mysterious yeah. murders, esoteric elements and ancient enigmas. He's 79, he hasn't done anything since 2012 and he's been given a whole effing series to do and I'm already on board for it. Okay. Um, the title of the series, Longinus, Longinus, is a reference to the name given to the Roman soldier who pierced the side of the crucified Jesus with a lance to make sure he was dead. Yep. How about that? I didn't know that was his special name. Yeah. Then finally, Nicholas Wending Refn, yep. he of that bizarre show on Amazon Prime that I watched all the way through and was <laughs> yeah. really boring. <laughs> I had to fast forward because it was so boring, but had amazing bits He's making between. another one. He's doing another one, this time for HBO, and he's doing a TV series adaptation of cult film franchise Maniac Fucking Cop. You're kidding. I am not kidding. You're kidding. How with, did I miss this? Nicholas Winding Refn is making Ma- Maniac, Maniac Cop, Cop the, series. the series. With the original John Hyams, the creator of oh the film God. series. It's the least likely project in TV history. It really is. It's fucking weird. That's but that's happening. For HBO. I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah. And he's going to direct the whole thing with John Hyams. There you go. Okay. Wow. How do we top that? Terry? Can you top that? Not really. Nothing's happened. You haven't got, like, Martin Scorsese directing, you know, Hard Target, the series? I don't, I'm afraid. No, okay. Uh, what have I got in here? Uh, David O. Yellowo is going to be in Showtime's The President is Missing, uh, which is uh, about a, a sort of a, a vice president who becomes president, you know, that's that that old trope. Uh, and there's a world-threatening crisis going on, which in itself sounds a bit meh, but David O. Yellowo is very good. So, he is, uh, he's amazing. I am down with that. Also, Damon Lindelof said some interesting stuff about Watchmen. That he uh, he wrote this as a he designed it as a as a single season event. Oh, yeah, exactly that. So he uh, when he was at uh, Comic Con, he was talking about this, and he was saying that um, it doesn't necessarily mean there's not going to be any. <laughs> right, I was going to say because no, they will. Yeah, I mean, they're clearly, not putting this amount of money will. into a <laughs> limited series that's never going to come back. But he and he's but he said that he um, he doesn't know if he's going to be working on him anymore. And he said he designed that these nine episodes to be a complete self-contained thing, like uh, the original sort of twelve issues of the comic. So mm-hmm. uh, it was it's supposed to be a standalone. But obviously, you can bet if it gets ratings off the chart that another bunch of them will miraculously appear I would say. The interesting thing about Watchmen is whether we're going to get to see it in advance before next week's show. Well that's the question isn't it? Mm. So it would be next Not week. yet. Yeah. Just say and tell we'd better now. get hold of that. Yeah. Um, that's important. Yeah. Um, what else has happened? Threatening, that's threatening it. I'm HBO. threatening them. <laughs> HBO, HBO. We better get it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Give us Watchmen. No one yet has been able to review it so yeah. we'll see. 
we're not stuck in there with them. They're stuck in there with mm. us. Can I just mention one thing, though, which I found out just today, which is that Pose Season 2 is going to be on soon. So end of October on BBC Two, because remember they took a fucking, like, about nine months yeah. to show Series 1. But it's still going to be quite a considerable It's still quite long, but it was about a year. Of time, yeah. right? But at least it is, it is this same calendar year as Season 1 on BBC Two. So it's arriving, I think, like, around October 26, 27, because people have been asking me that pretty much since Season 1. I've got out. a question. Are Pose stands are called Poseurs? Oh, Christ. Um, yeah, maybe. No? No. I mean, okay. Yeah. I'm just saying, I like, that, I like that we have these kind of <laughs> collective fine. comedy pun nouns for people who like TV yeah. shows, and I'm wondering if that's what they are. People who have seen season two um, uh, say it's... It, like we liked, we reviewed it. We liked season one, yes. but season two apparently is a huge step up on season yes. one. They say our creative director has been. I was thinking of him. Uh, <laughs> is across this. Yeah. He is a poser. He is a poser, um, and he definitely says yeah. that this is a massive leap on both. I think in terms of performances and storytelling, yeah. and I think that's part of the clamour. Is that kind of exactly, yeah. vibe has spread over from the states, and we can't even get our eyes on it. What's behind that lag? Is it the same? as... <laughs> So it's BBC Two signed this big overall deal with um, FX, who show it in the States. Mm. And they just, it doesn't seem to be their priority to show them these things they buy in any particular urgency, sense of urgency. So it's annoying, yeah. I'd guess, I guess they must have research that tells them their audience just was happy to watch it months and months and months after it goes out in the States. And they're I not the kind of people who... that research exists. I well, don't believe it exists either. No. Because okay. nobody's going to go... I don't know anybody who's like, oh, I'm not that fussed. I'll yeah, can take it or leave it. Yeah. It is bizarre, though, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Any more news from either of you, or is that it? It's, uh, I mean, who cares? But um, Clive... <laughs> wow, you're selling that. <laughs> Clive Owen is um, uh, joining the Apple drama uh, Lissy's Story, which is obviously the Stephen King book adaptation um, starring Julianne Moore. I'm mainly interested in this because I have a new obsession with Clive Owen, which is based entirely upon his performance in Gemini Man. I knew you were going to oh, say yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you think he... I meant to... We didn't live Empire Podcast last night where James and I were not fans of Gemini Man and I forgot to talk about this last night because I became obsessed with his performance in Gemini Man which is like Nicolas Cage in Face Off (laughs) when he's Mm. when he do you know what it is it's John Travolta being Nicolas Cage Mm. in Face Off after the Face Off swap that's what Clive Owen is in Gemini Man I I actually can see that do you know what I'm saying it's and I was like I don't know if I've ever seen that version of Clive Owen he's always been kind of he's that kind of blank page actor you know he's quite low level not expressive but this he's over the top evil he's crazy like hammy and all I kept thinking of was Nicolas Cage and Face Off Um, so I can't work out if I now have more respect for him and want to see him in more things or want to see him in less things and never see him in anything again because <laughs> he because his his performance was nuts but also kind of one of the more memorable things about Gemini Man arguably yeah. more than the fact there are two Will Smiths yes that says a lot there's only one Clive Owen <laughs> There's only one Clive Owen being John Travolta playing yeah. Nicolas Cage What's with a different face. What's going to be on TV face. again? It's the it's Lissy's story, oh, yeah, the yeah, Julianne Apple Moore, yes, Apple yes, TV, yes. JJ Abrams, Bad yeah. Robot yeah, production. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's going to play her husband. Hmm. 
And that was news. <laughs> Nothing. Ha- if it, could TV people, please make something happen before the next yeah. podcast. So please, we've got. Please, please we have got four shows to, talk, to review. Yeah, so that's true. We should. We should. We should skip on. But before before we get onto this week's reviews, uh, we have a guest. Oh, we have yeah. a guest this week uh, with "Living with Yourself" airing this week and her brilliant comedy "This Way Up" already available. Ashlyn B stopped by for a chat about all things humour related. She was, it has to be said, deliriously funny. And despite the fact that this interview descended into utter chaos within literally the first 10 seconds this was loads of fun so here it is can we just say for anyone who's listening that james is a great man very respectful of women and was very careful with me during and i really appreciated that and that was what i would love to say on behalf of james and his family that's staying in the podcast great (laughs) ashlyn b welcome to the pilot tv podcast thank you for having me a pilot tv podcast your fans are out quite a significant force outside i've noticed Mm -hmm. Oh, my my children. Yes, your Extinction Rebellion fans. Yes, yes, I'm like the Pied Piper with them. I told them, wait outside of Trafalgar Square until I'm finished my media event, and then I'll come and talk to you. That's fair. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm big with kids. Yeah. Yeah. There's Small a... with adults, big with kids. <laughs> and giant pink octopuses being kettled by the police, sort of middle Yeah, of yeah, yeah. That's where I'm, the problem with octopuses is I do love calamari, so ah. we have a love-hate relationship with them. That's going to be problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, this is a show in which you play Paul Rudd's identical doppelganger. And I must say, you look exactly like him and it's an yeah, extraordinary performance. Yeah. So well and what I really want to say is that Paul, uh, who plays a character, an Irish wife in the show, he re- his accent is very hack, but I actually think he his boobs look amazing. They do. Throughout they do. the show. He's very versatile. He is very versatile. And I loved playing other, other Rudd. <laughs> Rudder. The Rudder one. The Rudder one. Um, as, as we say in showbiz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's brilliant. I am so honestly happy and grateful to like get to talk about a show I love. I hate watching myself in anything, and I think this way up my show kind of knocked that out of me yeah. in a way. Like I had to watch the edit and fix it, but it was so nice to. I got this when I was in New York promoting my show, and they put Netflix put all of. And living with yourself onto Netflix and I was like do you know what I'll be brave I'll be brave I'm on my own so this is not a good idea because normally if you look at yourself you're like oh god no you know the way you get when you listen to your voicemail and you're like that's not my voice but with acting it's like your face attached and your mm. effort and oh it's awful but I properly sat down and watched five of them in a row and then watched the other three when I got home and I couldn't believe I was in in something that I genuinely loved and know people are going to love as well. Like, I love the show. And that's so nice because sometimes you really have to polish turkeys and go like, well, you know, the lighting in this one is so good and I'll be so proud of the lighting and you just end up trying to find something See, to See, you with. say that, but I really liked Hard Sun. I don't know why you're saying that. I thought the lighting in Hard Sun was brilliant. Thank you <laughs> well, very I much. Well, I mean, it yeah. kind of goes with the name, doesn't it? The sun was literally on fire. Yeah, it was very hard sun. Yeah. Yeah. So when you did... <laughs> you cheeky monkey, James. No, I... Forget a sneer in. Do you remember what I said about James earlier on? He he set me up for a fall with that one. No, see the worst part of this is I genuinely really really liked Hard Sun. And I, I was loved it as well. Yeah, me too. Um, and it maybe it was just like a year too early. You yeah. know, like we have climate protesters hmm. down the road and it was sort of linking into that. Maybe it did come just a year or two too early just before the zeitgeist yeah. that happened with like well Sharon and I in a sense in that Sharon and I were in Dead Boss together Sharon Horgan and that show came out here and then they made a pilot in America that didn't go anywhere and then a year later Orange is the New Black came out and I was like oh imagine a place a situation like a prison 
uh, like like Dead Boss was situated where you'd have all of these great female actresses and comedy and darkness beside you that do a star turn like oh it was just before it became a great idea um, so yeah it's be, all in the timing mm, all in the timing as they say in comedy Comedy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> see, you mentioned comedy. You mentioned comedy. And this is off topic, so I'm apologising to the people from Netflix in the room who are glaring at me. But uh, Rasheen Connerty, who <gasps> I'm fairly certain is a friend of yours, she yes. came on and was a guest host on the Pilot TV podcast. Really? I've never been asked. You will absolutely be asked next. God, there's Rasheen um, sleeping her way to the top again. Yeah, she came in and we used to have a segment. See, notice how I'm mm-hmm. automatically making this interview all about me. Sorry. Oh, uh, James. I'm a man. I, I apologise. Yeah. Um, we had a sec- section on the podcast called Funny or Die. I'm, I'm someone who's famously doesn't understand comedy. Yeah, great. I don't get it. I just yeah. I find it very... I can see that. Challenging. <laughs> and so th- this whole thing was that readers would give me comedy shows to watch and I would explain why yeah. they're not funny. So I found myself... Oh, in the- you hellish man. Yeah. You're the thing we all fear in the closet. You've never been in a worse position when you're trying to explain why comedy isn't funny to a professional yeah. comedian who's much smarter than But also Roisin is... <laughs> Roisin is maybe... And this is Roisin Connolly, one of my best friends, genuinely one of the most clever people I know. Mm-hmm. And most verbose people on our subject yeah. and if you want to talk about gender or the subject in a serious way I can't I, I did a podcast for something recently I was like oh I wish Roisin was here to answer these questions <laughs> because she is the cleverest person I know and uh, and just how she views the world and her knowledge of the subject and the history and the watching of it and the nuances of our craft mm. she's yeah your die is yeah she wiped the floor with me yeah absolutely yeah but what she said like something really rang true with me and this is something which I think is very true in, in this way is that she said it's not about you shouldn't write comedy for laughs you no. should write it for truth yes. and then bring the humour to the surface we'll, we're always going to be funny I, th- I remember I worked with this director at drama school and this is going to sound like it's about Mrs. Doyle in a play but it's not he he. it was a lovely note to get and sometimes I think about it like I could do a set the same 15 minutes like 20 times in a row and just one Thursday nobody laughs and it's really hard to work out what's going wrong sometimes mm. and uh, the director was saying he was working with an actress and her job was to kind of come in the middle of the scene and ask did anyone want any tea again this isn't Mrs. Doyle it was in some play in the West End yeah. and it would break a serious moment and the audience would lose their mind with this one line. And uh, over the course of the play, the laughs got less and they got less until they dwindled and it was getting nothing. And she was getting really sad and she she said to the director, like, I can't understand why I'm not getting my laughs anymore. And he was like, because you used to come in and ask for a cup of tea or if anyone wanted a cup of tea, now you come in and ask for a laugh. Mm-hmm. And it sounds so silly, but it's, it's expectation versus no expectation and people will laugh at no expectation but they see expectation coming I read this thing recently about like loving or giving with expectation versus loving or giving without expectation so with expectation is I give you a bouquet of flowers because I know it'll because I um, because I know it'll put a smile on your face and then the other version is I give you a bouquet of flowers because I know I'll appear charming if I do and the second one feels less yummy Mm. the first one is oh flowers the second one's like that's nice but why <laughs> um, and so if someone comes into a room telling you something you've all of the space to listen and laugh when you want but I'm not totally telling you when to do that whereas if you come in going that's funny and you're like oh okay I'm laughing but it's sort of uncomfortable yeah. um, and we and there's you know both can exist sometimes at the same time but that's um, yeah it's a nuanced thing and sometimes you have to find it that's, that's the craft of the job yeah 
the actual craft, craft of it and the grit and the work See, of it. That is an excellent and very articulate way of conveying something which I have tried to get my head around, which is why I find things like The West Wing funny, but mm. I don't find like sitcoms funny because there's a heightened reality where comedy exists. And then there's drama, mm-hmm. which when comedy bubbles to the surface and it catches you unawares. Yeah. And I always find that's... And that's better. just your taste. And when people talk about genre, that's more a genre mm. than what people have started putting things into like women are genres or yeah. female comedy is well, genre whereas actually something like West Wing is, is a type of comedy they play a lot of their scenes for laughs yeah. and, and, and silliness um, and then there's other types it's like the different types of ways you entertain yourself for some people three people at dinner is a party other people like me cannot wait to go into a room full of people where there's loud music mm. and that is everything really loudly spelled fun this is supposed to be fun in a very loud heightened manner <laughs> and that's my kind of night out for other people they're like oh and so that's almost like with you with comedy and there is room for it all it's a broad church yeah it's Mm. a broad church which I never knew until way after broad church (laughs) that's what broad church meant and so when people go comedy you know it's a broad church I'm like I didn't think that was a bloody comedy (laughs) mate to be honest I think there was less of a wah wah at the end of that one yeah it wasn't wasn't a lol fest yeah it really wasn't but back to this show oh Um, yes please but but this works on a similar level because this is funny but also there Mm -hmm. it has moments where there's a scene where Paul Rudd is in the car or a Paul Rudd is in Mm -hmm. a car and he has a conversation with you on the phone and it's properly heart wrenching Mm. and I think doing that makes funny moments funnier do you know what I mean it really kind of the the juxtaposition I think also how much space we leave Mm. and the discomfort of it knowing you're going to be okay and I think there is something about putting serious topics in a show with two lead actors who are funny and known mm. for being funny, uh, obviously on very different levels uh, globally. Um, poor old Paul, great to give him the chance in this <laughs> well, show. <laughs> great for him to get to work with me and learn a few tricks of the trade. <laughs> um, but in that, there's something about maybe the comfort of knowing, oh, I'll sit through this actually because I know I'm going to be okay. I know at the end of this, in some way, I'm going to get a laugh. And I think for me, that's very much uh, the service of comedy at the moment. And I try to do that with my show as well, going, don't worry, mm. this is more life. Like there's a laugh coming and that's how it's an okay, safe space to explore these maybe yucky feelings or things, but it's not going to ruin the whole evening or the, ro- or the whole dinner party or the yeah. whole night. You will get a laugh. You'll be okay. You know, and that for me is, I love that with stand up and I love, and sometimes you do just want to hear someone's story by the time they went on holiday and had too much vindaloo and because that's the mood you're in. And then other times it feels so nice and cathartic to get something different. And again, there's space for everything. Um, But it's the effort and the care within what, like the stories that are uh, done about having a bad vindaloo are done with as much care and craft as the other ones Mm. and there's space for it all and there's space for it all in one gig I've seen it happen on nights where there's five comedians and someone comes on with a slow pace or a different genre of comedy or style of storytelling and can get just as much as laugh and you can just love all the different types of people um, and I love that. I love that that our art form is 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 making space for more different types of voices because what's nice is you see that audiences who you think look a certain way don't. You will see someone love this show who might look like you, who might look like a young girl, who might look like an older person, um, who might have hair, unlike you, James. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so lots of different people. It's a trend for the Pilot TV podcast. Oh, yeah, it really is. And yeah. um, that's why so much comedy goes over your head because there's nothing stopping it getting in the way. That's, see, I mean, if stuck. I'd known that's what hair was yeah. for, I would have kept mine. <laughs> we need to get you a, a comedy catching hat or wig. Um, 
but I love that there's currently so many platforms and so much space that people can see themselves in all their different ways mm. and depending on the mood you're in might might look to something different. Like sometimes I just like, Jade Adams and Fred, Fred Syriax are doing a show at the moment all about the making of snacks and last night like it was such a heavy intense day of thinking about a lot of stuff and my show and this show and the themes and that I was like I can't wait to watch Jade's show about snacks and how are they <laughs> going to make Monster Munch in the kitchen without knowing the recipe and I was so, that's what I needed. Yeah. Um, and then other times I want to then and and all weekend I was watching um, that is it called Capture, the, oh, yeah, the, 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 which I love. Shit. And we myself thought, yeah. and Roisin are both so invested in Capture at the it's moment. Amazing. But I also want to watch Jade's show about how they make snacks, <laughs> a competitive show about trying to recreate snacks in a kitchen. Yeah. So there's room for everything and and. There's room for all of your complexities. You yes. don't have to just, it's not that you don't enjoy dancing just because you like, you know, a real cool indie track. You can have pickled onion, you can have batshit conspiracy theories. Exactly, they, they live in baby. They all live in the same shop. Indeed. But this show, and I think this way up as well, they both deal with the theme of loneliness. You know, yes, very much so. Yeah. And as you say, they deal with it in a kind of comedic way, which makes it not like where Shane Meadows will batter you round the head with the misery, mm. which is fine. Yeah. But it's not always time for that. It's not even always time for that. It's that that's not everyone's experience mm. and um i think what i've felt people have connected to with this way up and what i think a lot of people will connect to with living with yourself is more oh there i am that's more mm. all of us than than total tragedy and sometimes you can feel a bit guilty about feeling low or feeling disconnected from yourself or society or family or partner because you're like well nothing really has really happened though no, there's no big catastrophe there's no big grief stricken moment there's no big thing and yet here I am within a disconnect to myself mm -hmm. and um, I think more people carry that around with themselves but don't get the privilege of like taking a sabbatical or walking away from work or not having to go into the office or to stop being a parent for a weekend like I'll just put the kid you know maybe like in a sort of like um, boat for the weekend and sail it off you know you don't get a break from being yourself yeah. and in this show the kind of idea that you might get a break from being yourself or not have to be yourself all the time feels like oh please just even for a bloody weekend um and that, I think, connects with uh, a, v a very human condition and one that isn't, is relatable no matter what your financial situation is or where you are in the world. Um, and it's something that I've definitely seen because I directly, I mean, Paul's not on Instagram or social media or anything, so he will probably get it from people physically saying it to him. <laughs> but because I am, I've seen people say it to me. So yeah. I, I hear and I read that's the feedback. So you do become a little bit of a researcher in terms of what works very directly with what people come at you with and go, that that's me though. And that person that's saying that rarely again looks a certain way. Yeah. Um, which I sort of love. I, I love that because it's funny making a show about loneliness has sort of made me feel less lonely. And I think other people feel less lonely as well because you go, oh, it's not just me. I, I think that's a really important part of storytelling as well as to kind of connect with someone. And I, I love that it was so upfront about the fact that she's in rehab, not for mm -hmm. drugs, not for alcohol, mm -hmm. but it's loneliness mm -hmm. that's brought her there. Yeah. And I think that's something, I want to say like maybe five years ago, we wouldn't be able to talk about it in the same way. I feel like yeah. people talk about mental health now in a way that And maybe people wouldn't have taken a risk and like thanks to Channel 4 for taking a risk on the idea that, and it was a lot to do with obviously Sharon's name being attached as producer and cast in it. But sometimes our biggest thing was always like, does this scene make sense emotionally? And like, oh, there aren't enough jokes in this. And myself and Sharon go, don't worry. 
it's going to be funny. We don't, we, we would never, ever worry about whether something's going to be funny or not. Yeah. The same with Paul. I would never worry, oh, is, there, is it not going to be funny? Or will we find that, jo-? I'm like, no, that's literally what we've been doing and drumming since we were kids. But it's the, I mean, the heart of it. Anything, won't it's, you? Well, it's, it's, yeah. And I, I, that's how I live. That's yeah. how my friends live. That's how my family lives and mm. copes. Um, and sometimes there's this, oh, it's a defense mechanism. If you got rid of that, you'd see the true you. And you're like, no, that's, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's a defense mechanism. It's better than a gun. It's, yeah. um, I think that's how more people cope in, in my yeah. world, definitely. And it's not necessarily always a mask. It's, it's a part of you, mm. um, rather than something placed on top of you. Um, and I think for a lot of men watching this show, Paul Rudd is such a like, known, loved actor and um, person from their world to see him grappling with that, I think is is really huge and lovely in, in a very small, intimate way in a small, intimate show mm. as well. Um, and I'm kind of, a, I'm excited in a weird way for for people to feel what he's doing in the show as well with his character work, which is, yeah, as I say, amazing that he's playing that Irish woman so well. Yeah, I like <laughs> he does it very, very well. And you, of course, yeah. are good as him. Brilliant. Ashley, thank you very, very much. Oh, thank we you so much, We will see you again James. when you, because you've already, this is a verbal binding contract, you've mm-hmm. agreed to come on and guest host on the Pilot TV Yes, I am so, um, also, um, um, I, you know, the way when people are like, I don't believe in fairies. I can't wait for the day when you believe in comedy. <laughs> and I'm going to click my heels and go, you know, give you a magic wish. Um, yeah, every time you say that, a comedian loses their timing. I'm sorry. Just so you know. <laughs> Thanks Thank you very, very much. much. <laughs> you heard her, that promise to come and host the show, which she did make, was legally binding. Um, Boyd, you you did a Q&A with both yes. Ashlyn and Paul yes. Rudd that very night, didn't yes. you? Yes, and um, of course, the first thing that Ashlyn B said to me um, as I as we were waiting in the, in the holding area before we went on stage for the Q&A was, oh yeah, I met your colleague who's also bald and white. And I said, middle class, and middle class, that's what you're really thinking. Um, I think I, I, I kind of emphasise the fact that not everyone who works at Pilot TV is bald, white, and middle class and male, but definitely two thirds of us are. And no, she thought you were very sweet, I think is the word she used. What? Yeah. There you go, see? I must listen to this interview now. Yeah. Just to, what did yeah. you do? I was super sweet, apparently. Yeah. So somehow you made it all about you, <laughs> yeah. not about the woman you were interviewing, and no. you still came across as sweet. It's like a superpower. <laughs> I think or it's something. because I gave her the nice microphone. Because ah. I wanted, I was setting up, and I put, I gave her the. I, I, like this tripod God, halfway this across London. Bo- really boring. <laughs> and I put the microphone in there, but she immediately was like, I'm a stand-up, I'm going to hold the microphone. But it was a shit microphone, so I gave her my microphone and I took the shit one, for I am a gentleman. For you are a journalist! <laughs> and, she's the I mean, t- and she's the talent! Fine, also that. <laughs> you do know there's a difference between interviews and dates, right? <laughs> Interview, date. Oh, God. <laughs> Ashling oh, B, we'd like to yeah. hear your account of your date it, with James. I definitely don't think she saw it that way. Um, but she did say that uh, that she would be happy to come on the podcast. I don't believe she meant it, but I'm going to hold her to it. Since yeah, because she, her agent was in the room. So. And she is friends with Roisin Conaty, who has been. Indeed. Course, and we um, discussed it in the interview. Substitute Terry um, yeah. on this very podcast, yeah. So next time uh, you go off, Terry, to, I don't know, have a holiday or a baby or whatever it is that you do, uh, we, will, we will maybe ask Ashlyn if she will step in. Feel free. Yeah. I, I presume that by the time I return, you will be married. And by married, I mean, you think you're married. She thinks she's just done two interviews with you and hosted a podcast. <sighs> yes, that's probably true. Right. Well, that segues quite nicely into reviews where we will start 
with living with yourself. Uh, this is the Netflix show created by Timothy Greenberg and starring Paul Rudd as a man who takes a trip to a rejuvenating spa only to have the term self-love take on a whole new meaning when he comes home with a clone of himself, something neither he nor wife Kate, played by Ashlyn B, signed up for. Boyd, did you have a ruddy good time with this? <laughs> Well, brilliant. Uh, Look how pleased he is. He's so pleased with that. Uh, I did. Um, the first thing I'm going to say is that I watched the first two episodes ages ago um, because I chatted to Ashley Me for Pint TV magazine. And so um, Netflix kindly, I'm literally talking like a couple of months ago. And I thought, oh, this is interesting because. Um, Ashley B often goes on about talks about how you know she's not going to accept like wife and girlfriend type roles anymore, which is just an adjunct to a male character. And I thought mm. actually watching this, even though it says it's a brilliant high concept that Paul Rudd has to deal with a clone of himself that's been created without his um, knowledge, and they're supposed to have ditched him and got rid of him. And the first scene is him coming out being buried alive and trying to um, find the people who did this, and then but she is his wife and she has to deal with him and the fact that he's dissatisfied and kind of a bit miserable and annoying and self-absorbed yeah a new version of his character comes along who's much more zingy and bakes a casserole and all of that but in the first two episodes i was like oh actually there isn't that much for her to do but you have to get to episode four okay good because i was going to say this i've only seen two my ah. big takeaway from this is not enough ashlyn b right well is what i said to you right yeah. before right. you interviewed her i i watched the first right. two and i was like where is she? Right. And what is her name? Okay. And what is yeah. her personality? Fair enough. She's a, she's a genius. Yes. Now, let me just... I, I think Netflix should literally have said to anyone interviewing her, you have to watch to, through to episode four and, and probably five, because I'm not kidding you, but it does as much of a reverse switch thing... A reverse as, ferret. Reverse ferret <laughs> as um, Russian Doll. Do you remember Russian mm-hmm. Doll? Yeah, Halfway yeah. through, suddenly does a big switch. So does this. If you get to episode four, it's just all about her. Yeah. And she's then key much more than she is in episodes one and two and three, even three. And then five carries on that way. So it's like, it's weird to have to have kind of, you know, to not to be talking to her about it and to have explaining it. Yeah. And yet that's the way the structure, and it's a very boldly structured series because it then, it starts showing you the same events from different people's points of view um, and things that ideas and, 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 and objects and scenes and incidents that arrive in episodes one and two then come, come back on themselves later on. It is as intricate, really, as Russian Doll. That's the thing I kept mm. thinking of. I mean, there's another clone. It's a clone story in the week of, as you said, Gemini Man. It's like, this is the way to tell a clone story, yeah. not that fucking shit film. <laughs> but it reminded me even more of Russian Doll, just in an eight-part, half-hour, ostensible mm. comedy, but actually dealing with all kinds of ideas about what it's like to be human. Uh, is the clone as much of a human as the original one? Is, he, is the, original, the original ones had the experiences? The clones just had memories of the experiences? It's asking really big interesting well, questions it also, and it's very in- interesting and entertaining I wouldn't say it's amazingly funny but it's it's more dramatic it's poignant and poignant mm. it's some really funny bits but it's much more dramatic than I was expecting and I really liked it and it, it probes that sort of idea of what is consciousness like are you yeah. the sum total of your experiences and genetics or is there more to it so we can't really go into the details of, of without ruining the, the whole thing but this is this is exploring like Michael Crichton have you ever read his book uh, Timeline no there's a similar kind of idea at the heart of that as well of sort of like you know originals and copies and you know yeah. where does the consciousness reside but uh, all of that's kind of by the by this is actually really sweet and it's really funny and it's more touching than I thought it would be there's a scene where the clone is on the phone to 
his quote unquote wife. Um, and I, really heartbreaking. Like, it's it got real emotional depth to it, and it's funny, and it's light. And Paul Rudd goofing around with Paul Rudd is never not entertaining. Yeah, I think it's great. I think both of those actors, both of them have huge amounts of charm and it helps make this in, an incredibly likeable show. I, it's also, it's got that sort of like TV crack quality to it where each episode basically ends leading into the next one on a kind mm. of semi-cliffhanger yeah. so you can't stop watching it. Um, I will absolutely be pressing on with this. I loved it. You just described TV. There's a bit at the end which makes you want to watch the next one. No, hang on. I just described all TV except the TV you like because no procedural ever ends that way. No, because it's resolved and actually that resolution is oh. a huge part of psychologically while I'm into it. I hate that um, uh, I also thought it was a, a really clever skewering on self-improvement. Modern society is obsessed with self-improvement. Yeah. Being the best version of yourself, discovering and unearthing the best and better version of yourself it's what we're all told to strive for and he literally does that as you say the opening shot of him in a plastic bag like dragging himself out of being essentially buried alive when I first started I was like what is happening Um, it isn't crazy it's really high concept I think especially for a half an hour show to be able Mm. to do that I think the writing is brilliant he is amazing the nuance and detail he manages between the Mm. two versions of himself it's not a younger it's not like the terrible film we've already talked about Um, but there's the slight change in um, uh, mannerisms and behaviour that the kind of uh, slight more innocence that the clone has is all done really really well and it's not because you think for there to be a clear demarcation you'd have to come up with something quite overt and quite heavy-handed but actually he does it all through nuance um which i think is brilliant and what i also loved is is there are these bigger things you know what does it mean to be human about being disappointing about um this this constant striving for our best selves but it also is brilliant on the kind of what is essentially the crushing mundanity of everyday life, right? So you've got a job that you're kind of shit at and your relationship isn't quite what it... And that that's what sells us this concept of a better version of yourself because if you were just the best version of yourself, everything in your life would be better when the reality is that everything in your life is kind of mundane and a bit shit. And in that way, it reminded me a bit of like catastrophe, I mean, meets Black Mirror, but like mm. that sense of it being quite a um, realistic and detailed look at just the, you know, we all have to get up, we have to go to work, we're yeah. in relationships, yeah. so the relationships aren't all about the big moments, it's about the boring moments and the bits in between. Um uh, yes, yeah, so I really liked this. Um, really liked yeah. it. He mentioned Paul Rudd. Um, mentioned Black Mirror. Um, Did he? When I was talking to him, yeah, and because it is because I wasn't, I just wasn't expecting what it is, which is a mm. really interesting. And the guy, so the guy who wrote it, he used to work on the the, the John Stewart version of that show, The Daily Show, um, has had this idea for years and years and years. And, and he, they were saying that you know, I think he probably wrote almost like the whole thing, um, all eight episodes, and had the idea like years and years ago, five, six, seven years ago, and they were like, okay, let's do. This, let's make it and it's directed by um, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris who um, are filmmakers you know um, and did Little Miss Sunshine and they I think they just bring that filmic touch to it really mm. well because it is like a kind of you know each Heartfair episode is like a brilliant little indie film yeah it's very very good indeed and it airs on Netflix shot on Netflix on Friday October the 18th that is Living With Yourself uh, next up this week we have Amazon's Modern Love. This is an anthology series comprising standalone stories pulled out 
and dramatised from the New York Times long-running column of the same name. Appearing in this one is an array of people from Dev Patel to Catherine Keener, uh, Anne Hathaway, Andrew Scott, even Tina Fey is in this. And each episode tells a story of romance and how it fits into a kind of modern life. Terry, did this stir your loins? <laughs> I will not go that far. Um, uh, and actually, I'll correct you a little bit. Because, oh. oh, do. Oh, please do. Because <laughs> romance, I think, is an interesting word when you talk about this show, because it's not all I mean, about romance. I was just looking for a synonym for this with you. I, I, I did figure that. But <laughs> it's actually much more interesting than being about romance. So this is based on this um, very, very famous New York Times column. It's one of my favourite columns in any newspaper ever. So a Essentially, it's an essay a week and it's something about love in the modern world. So sometimes it's romantic, sometimes it's not romantic. And that's kind of what you see um, in this in this anthology series, which is a different little story, a vignette, if you will, in each episode. Um, it's Daniel Jones, who edits the column at The New York Times, um, has made this into a book, has made this into a very successful podcast series. He is a consulting producer on this, um, and they are all specific stories that already existed. Now, what I will say is I found this, and I watched the first two episodes, um, and we talked when I'd watched one of them. I actually watched them in reverse order. I watched the second one first, and I wasn't wasn't convinced. The second one is uh, uh, Dev Patel, and he's being interviewed by journalists, and he actually tells his story. He's a founder of a dating app, and he tells his own kind of uh, story of a failed romance. And then it has the um, journalist who's interviewing him, it has her story as well. And it felt, there was something about the setup that felt quite contrived. And even though especially um, the second story was so, um, was really uh, poignant and beautiful, there was something weird about seeing these things dramatised because modern love is all about authenticity. The column works because it is a really personal, first-person account of a story to do with love. And... The fact that it's real and it comes from one person, it's very much a singular experience. There aren't any grand sweeping statements about love. It's its a very much one person story is what makes a column so brilliant and so addictive. And when you dramatise it in that way, I was losing something. It started, there were moments where I thought it felt a bit corny um, and I started to be a bit lost by it. And then I watched the first episode, which is essentially about a uh, woman's relationship with her doorman in New York, which, let me tell you, is a complex relationship. Um, And that had much more kind of um, subtlety and points of interest for me and I thought was much more interesting. Um, Catherine Keener, by the way, plays the journalist in the second episode and she says, there's a quote from her at one point where she says, sometimes you realise that true love in its absolute form has many purposes in life. It's not actually just about bringing babies into the world or romance or soulmates or even lifelong companionship. And that thread of what is love in the modern world, who do you experience love with and what does love look like in all its kind of oddities and, and small ways is what makes this interesting. But I also think that's what makes it kind of patchy in some ways because some will connect and some won't and some will be about love you find interesting and and others won't. But there were definite moments in that second episode where it just became a bit American. Do you know what yeah, I mean I'll by that? Yeah. Like uh, cheat, like... Yeah, it's, yeah. But it's also... So we should say it's most of these are 
written and directed by um, John Carney, who did Sing Street, who I like, but definitely has a tendency, shall we say, towards... Like in Sing Street. Like in Sing Street. To reveling to some extent in in you know emotion and you know if it goes if you if you don't like it then sentimentality. Now I really like Sing Street, but you know there's definitely a thing going. He, this is definitely the, his episodes feel like things that his stuff mm. altered by him rather than a way of doing what is so interesting and unique about the column, yeah. which as you say is the authenticity. Yeah. Now the best episode. Now I've watched four or five of them, including the first two that you mentioned, and Sharon Horgan's episode, which she wrote and directed, starring Tina Fey and John Slattery, which is by far the best, because it is brilliantly authentic Mm. and real, because it's Sharon Horgan doing this without the sentimentality. And it is a fantastic little vignette of, basically, Sharon Horgan is playing the wife of Tony Slattery's, not Tony Slattery, John Slattery off Mad Men, not Tony Slattery off, whose line is it anyway. (laughs) I would watch that though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So would I. So would I. Um, She is like an adjunct figure, funnily enough. He's this egotistical, charismatic creative who's famous, who people would come up to in the street and go, I love your work, leaving her standing there not knowing what to do or say. There's one brilliant scene, jump where John says, by they're on the side of the street, one side of Central Park West or whatever in, in, in Manhattan. He sees some people on the other side. He runs over to see them, crosses the massive, massive street road. You live there. You know what that street is. You know how big, wide that mm-hmm. street is. He crosses the road in a second. Then she's like, what do I do now? Like, he hasn't invited me over. He's not introduced me to these people. He knows. So I'm going to go, right, cross the road and see them. And she gets run over and she has to like dodge between 5,000 different cars just to get to find out what the fuck her husband's doing with these people because he pays no attention to her and her whatsoever. There's so much going on in this hot, in this episode. It's a, I thought it was so great, but it's. I feel like saying it's kind of because Sean Organ is so great at this stuff, you know. It's, and Tina Fey plays it, it very much mm. against type. She's not playing it for laughs. She's brilliant in it. She, it's quite a, quite a kind of poignant role for her. And it leads up to this big scene where she confronts her husband with this thing that's gnawing at her, and it's so satisfying. And it does leave. I felt a lot of the other episodes slightly in, in the dust. The, I've watched the Andrew Scott episode in which he's half of a gay couple and they are going to have a surrogate child and the surrogate mother, the mother, is a homeless woman. And that's really interesting and I've felt slightly uncomfortable with that one because it felt a little bit, I don't know, there's something very middle-classy about it even though it's partly about how these middle-class, this middle-class gay couple are going to deal with this woman who's homeless living in their world and, and, and having their baby for them. But it was really interesting and quite authentic, more authentic again than those first two I thought. Or at least that second one. So obviously it's variable because it's eight completely separate stories. It's much better than the last time they did this kind of thing, which was the Roman Austria, remember that? When mm. the guy who created Mad Men did eight separate stories mm. and they were by and large terrible. <laughs> These are interesting and, and it's an interesting you know, offshoot from the, the column, but I agree with you in that. I don't think they quite capture most of them. What's unique about the column? I love this. Says <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so Mr. Titanic lover over there. Mr. Actually, yes, underneath yes, it all, yes, massive, yes. squidgy, romantic yes. James Dyer. This ultimately is, I'm a massive soppy twat. And unfortunately, like, this really got me, especially, I loved the first one with the doorman. I thought that was super sweet. And the second one, uh, I loved both of the storylines, the Catherine Keener storyline about... Even the Dev Patel storyline. The Dev Patel one really got me. I was like... There was, was like, one point oh, where I rolled my eyes so hard. Oh, I was like, I not roll I, was, I thought I was like I was almost tearing up I was that really got me I was like this is so sweet um it was wow. I thought it was massively romantic and it was it really yeah it it it, it got me this did the only thing uh 
that I did do is I read the respective columns. So each one is, is mm. pulled out of a specific actual column. Yes. And they bear very, very little resemblance to the actual columns in terms of substance and story and how it pans out. Like they've been heavily editorialized and dramatized for the screen. So if you're looking for an accurate representation, you ain't going to find it. Um, Specifically, the Dev Patel one. Dev Patel is actually playing the founder of Hinge, the dating app. Mm. Uh, he's the actual person who this who was at the center of the story, and the, the the story really is doesn't. Neither one of those stories in that episode bear a great deal of right. resemblance to the actual stories that I. Because I totally agree with Terry on that. I found it awkward that the whole device of the journalist interviewing him. And I just didn't buy Catherine Keener in that. No. I just felt I love Catherine Keener, but I just just didn't work. Well, it just didn't. But that I, whole like, and now I'm going yeah. to tell my right. story. Exactly. That two hander. Yeah. I was just, and I understand what it's saying, which is everybody has their own love story yeah. right and everyone has their yeah. own their own story to share and the own and their own thing they carry with them at all times I understand that, but I found that the construct itself mm. felt so... It feels clumsy in that episode. and But I think the reason is, is that, and we can't really go into the exact reason, but the resolution of how that story ends is true to life. And there's sort of, and, and I, so I think that there's a relevance to doing it. That would be, yes, having a story within a story there is a little bit like, a, oh, could these have not been two separate stories? Yeah. But, but there is a purpose for it. But no, I thought it was sweet. I think if you have a high tolerance for sappy shit like this, and if you love a bit of Richard Curtis, then I I think there's loads here to love uh, and I should be watching every single one of these anyway modern love uh, I enjoyed it lots you will too unless like Terry and Boyd you have a heart of no, stone no, no, we black like, ice we liked it but yeah. but it and I think I think it's like any anthology series right so yeah. every new season of Black Mirror there are episodes mm. I like episodes I don't like I think that's just the nature of it because not every story is going to connect with you and I think when it's something like this and you've got a disparate group of actors a disparate types of stories trying to cover think about look right without getting too you know existential think about love it's the biggest subject in the world and every kind of love that exists and exists within us and every kind of relationship we have I think it's such a broad palette which does work within the column but I, I think obviously it makes it it can make it quite scattershot when you're trying to watch one mm. season of a show I like the fact that this this doesn't seem to have a thread of cynicism to it it has a, it has mm-hmm. a sort of an honest abandon to it which I which I very much well liked. I think the Sharon Hogan episode is different. Well, so, perhaps. Yeah. Of the two that I've seen. Anyway. Yeah, because the columns are, columns yeah. Yeah. are yeah. D- totally are all over yeah, right. the shop yeah. because yeah. It, they, they are one person's real story of, of their, you know, yeah. life. Yeah. Anyway, Modern Love, Friday, October 18th on Amazon. Next in this week's lineup, we have a girl haji, which means duty shame in Japanese. Giri haji. Oh God! I did it again. I keep doing that. I did. I literally say yes. it. I can't believe I said. I say that every time. I know it's right. <clears throat> God, I'm mad. I He's lost it. I can't do it. Right. Next up in this week's lineup, we have Giri Haji, which means duty shame in Japanese. Uh, this is a continent and culture spanning crime drama slash mystery uh, that sees a Japanese detective played by Takahiro Hira, uh, who heads to London to investigate the murder of a Yakuza gangster that may tie back to his family. Uh, Kayla McDonald also stars as DC Sarah Weitzman, uh, a Met officer who gets pulled into the whole affair. Uh, this is shot in both English and Japanese, with I would say half and half splits, 50 yeah. 50. English, 50-50 Japanese. Um, what did you make of this, Boyd? I liked it. It's, it's, it. 
It's a very interesting attempt, I think, to um, by the creator, Joe Barton, who um, we had a feature on in Pilot, and mm. he said in it, I'm going to quote him, actually, because I think it's interesting. He talked about the influences on the show, and he said, it's not necessarily shows similar in subject or tone to Giri Hachi, but ones that have narrative freedom, stuff like The Haunting of Hill House, Atlanta, and Fleabag. Wow. Now, I think that, and why I think I'm, it's interesting that he says that is, for me, this is like someone trying to take a gangster story set interestingly set in Tokyo and London and half and half and um, there's a whole kind of fish out of water idea because the Japanese detective yep. has to come to London and um, and it's but he's taking that as the starting off point to make his own version of this kind of peak TV if you like so he's using all the tricks in the book um, visually it's very stylish it's stylized very much um, and the storytelling so in episode 2 I watched episode 2 earlier today I watched episode 1 and that jumps back and forwards in time all over the place um, episode 1 has flashbacks it's shot in widescreen and the flashbacks are even wider screen yeah they are super wide screen super wide I'm talking like Ben-Hur widescreen yeah I know it's like day. 70 mil the yeah concept. I'm obsessed yeah. with aspect ratios anyway so I love an aspect ratio switch in anything, this goes for it. This goes full Panavision. Goes full Panavision. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. There are little animated elements. Yes, yes. Um, you and know, really well done as well. Really well done. Mm. So in that way, there's a Tarantino influence because, of course, he yeah. did all that um, in Kill Bill. Particularly, I think Kill Bill is. It feels like a particular influence yeah. on it as well. Um, I like the fact he's kind of playing with oh, what am I, like a box of tricks almost like how mm. can I tell this story in, in the most interesting um, kind of playful way and I'm up for it I don't think there's anything yeah, I, I guess the central idea that a brother two brothers one brother thinks the dodgy gangster brother's dead and then he comes back from, yeah. from, from, from to life effectively is an interesting idea but it is the style of it that for me is, is more the thing that's going to mm. carry on compelling me to watch than the actual story but I'm still interested in the story it is but the story is one that really pulls you in and, and I mean, yeah. It's not that I wasn't expecting that. There were two things I think that surprised me about this. I thought Kelly McDonald was a genius bit of casting yeah. in this because she has a real grounding influence on it because you say it's very stylized, it's very Japanese early on. When it comes to London, I think she comes in and even in her first scene, she has a really sort of like dry, sort of slightly sarcastic sense of humor that he totally doesn't get because yeah. it's lost in the language barrier. Um, but I think that really helps you kind of anchor it in the sort of British aesthetic. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. The story pulled me in. It really made me want to watch the next one. And, uh, and I was I loved the animated interludes I thought the one they have in the first episode especially yeah, yeah. I thought was really really well executed um, and it is very stylish and it is very Tarantino and that aspect ratio is really fucking wide um, but so it's great it felt, it felt very original it felt very fresh it felt mm. like something I hadn't ever seen before which is never a bad thing I hadn't expected to, but I'm definitely mm. going to press on with this. How many episodes do you know in this? Eight. Uh, eight episodes yeah. of Giri Haji. Uh, and this airs on BBC Two. This starts on Thursday, October the 17th at 9pm. And I very much recommend it. Finally this week, we have Sarah Phelps' Dublin Murders. This is an eight-part drama based on the Dublin Murder Squad books by Tana French, specifically the first two books in French's series, In the Woods and The Likeness. Uh, it involves a, a murdered girl, a buried past, personal connections between crime and coppers, and a big old mystery, which also sucks you in from the get-go. Uh, Terry, this has uh, bodies, family trauma, buried secrets, <laughs> all that good stuff that gives you the warm and fuzzies. Tell me you love this. Yes, this gave me a massive uh, crime boner. Um, <laughs> so That's your poster quote right there. <laughs> so much of this could have been, uh, you know, trope-laden. We There are so many brilliant crime dramas, so many kind of average and or terrible crime dramas. 
And I always think this is one of the hardest genres to actually really nail and set apart from everything else because there are so many being done. But I think the crucial difference with this is Sarah Phelps, um, I have to say. And not just because the writing is exceptional. I don't think it's a, a, any small feat. You've got two of these books, these Tana French massive best-selling books, which are really well-known and really loved. And bringing those two together to create one cohesive, compelling... Yeah. I think that's a really massive challenge. But other than that, I have to say the two leads, um, Killian Scott and Sarah Green, who play the detectives, they're both super com- compelling, especially her. I kind of fell in love with her a little bit, so she plays detective. Cassie Maddox, something really interesting about her, really oh, she's vulnerable. She's a very you character. But, I'm like, <laughs> that scene with Conal Hill in the office, yeah. I was like, she's basically yeah. Terry. <laughs> but I, oh God, that makes me a massive narcissist. I really liked her. She's, I mean, that kind of classic thing with detectives, right? Kind of vulnerable, but um, bolshy, smart, like brittle. Like, I think she's amazing. I can't wait to watch her more. The production design is incredible. It looks incredible. The way it's shot, the tone and the colour palette, I just think is... Yeah. Desaturated. It's mm. so there's because people will say this is dark, which it is. There is a scene where they tell the family of the girl, mm. and it is mm. one of the darkest mm. things I've seen ages. It's really fucked up, but really human, really brutal, really unnerving. There's something really eerie about the entire thing. Um I just thought this was incredibly, incredibly well executed. In terms of quality, it is just right up there. Um, So I watched the first episode. I can't wait to watch the second. Um, But I'm all here for this. I'm all in. It's 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 one of the things that I found about this is it's I mean it's pretty dense but also you really have to pay attention to yes. this like you can lose the thread very quickly I because I was multitasking a little bit I had to go back I and watched, rewatch yeah this. I watched it twice yeah and I had to I, I was like okay I now actually just need to watch this while doing nothing else because I'm not following what's happening because mm. uh, it is quite complex and to determine you've got to pay attention to names and faces mm. and who is who because it's I mean it's it's not It's not one mystery it's a mystery within a mystery tied up within another mystery and they all kind of interlink and you're like okay you need to keep your head on with this uh, but there was loads of love as you said the performances are really good uh, Killian Scott Boyd gave me a fascinating fact about him would you like to share it Boyd? I can't remember what it was is that Killian Scott's real name is Killian Murphy oh yeah 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 but he goes by Kenny yeah. Scott. And he is or, actually Irish. Yeah. Playing, yes. uh, doing a British accent. Yes. Yeah. Weirdly. There you go. Yeah. Um, but also, I loved Conleth Hill in, in this because I love that he's playing the kind of abrasive, bolshy police captain, but with a slightly 2019 twist. Like when he goes, oh, she's not going to call HR, is she? Like, it's, it's, it's really nice. Like, and I, I thought he was loads of fun. It's nice to see Varys uh, in his post Thrones <laughs> incarnation. But yeah, this is absolutely awesome. And I'm going to mainline all of these in the next couple of days uh, because the BBC have made them available, which is lovely. <laughs> Yes, and it is. Sarah Phelps is just a fucking genius. Isn't she? Bottom line. Yeah, it's, she really it's is. Hard to underline just how clever her versions of these mm. things are. Because I, so I read the first novel um, in the woods. I haven't read um, the second one yet. But um, capturing the atmosphere, she does that brilliantly there's mm. a kind of the sense of unease and perversity and yeah. nastiness which is mm. very much her she loves that stuff i mean she's <laughs> absolutely honest about that that she finds the real nastiness in agatha christie that's what she's mm. done brilliantly with her adaptations of agatha christie for the last few years on bbc one um and 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 the weirdness but she's tell she knows how to tell an incredibly gripping story i think she loves that's why she loves crime 
dramas because she loves gripping immediately gripping stories but they allow her to go massively off kilter in all kinds of weird directions explore all kinds of the weirdness of humanity yeah. and of human behaviour and she revels in it and it's so interesting it's this is, this is so much more interesting than almost every other crime drama and I love a crime, good crime drama anyway but it's like multiple levels of stuff going oh, on so meaty so meaty so mm. much to it and as you say you really do have to pay attention <laughs> but in a good way because once you do you're completely completely immersed in it and you're like oh you have to work out who's doing what to whom and who those people are because you do has various timelines the flashbacks why is this person connected to that person and it's the intricacy and the storytelling and the characterization the two of them as you say yeah brilliantly cast and kudos to everyone because they're not huge stars i think he's a bigger star in ireland um but they could have got it could have insisted on big stars yeah. for it for example but they're perfect absolutely perfect and their friendship and it's a it's a proper friendship it's not they're not you know they're not having sex or anything is so brilliantly observed it's absolutely real within seconds of you meeting them they're like yeah oh, these two are like they have a, something absolutely real mm, there's together. an intimacy to yeah it's so clever mm. it's just fantastic and you know it, i i just pray that they carry on giving oh, Sarah God. Phelps yeah, these amazing stuff to do because she is absolutely And brilliant. the one, one thing I would say and which I think she is amazing at is that it, it made me realise how few shows we watch that actually do require your full attention mm. like mm. the amount of shows where you can do it as we often do while we're doing other things in the office while we're watching things or or people will be on their phones when these, like, this is a show you can't be on your phone you can't be looking out the window you have to pay attention and I remember when David Simon first put the wire out and he called it lean forward television where he was like fuck you I'm not catering to people who can't be bothered to pay attention you know you'll pick it up as you go along or you won't and if you don't see it I don't care and he made no attempt to pander or to make it accessible he's like pay attention concentrate and you will follow this don't and you won't and i think this has the same kind of the same kind of ethos where they just she expects engagement from her audience and i think this absolutely deserves it but the respect and i think it's respect right the respect it shows Mm. to the audience Mm. i think especially with this genre there's often a um, tendency to dumb down or make it super easy complexity is often spoken of as kind of a negative thing or it's too difficult to follow i can understand what was happening but they they respect they show the audience and as you say the commitment they then expect in return and I really enjoy the ambition of that from a storytelling perspective yeah it's a crime drama but it's incredibly well crafted as you say the complexity of it is incredible the layers upon the layers upon the layers and I just think audiences are hungry for this stuff and they're smart and they're yeah. engaged and they, they're watching loads of great telly and there's no reason why they can't engage with stuff like this and mm. actually as you say that kind of lean into this and engage with it in a really positive and proactive way um, I think it's really exciting and I just think it actually like treats people as they deserve to be treated in this day and mm. age which we, we don't expect everything to be passive and mm. easy and just flood into our ears and we don't have to be part of it and that is Dublin Murders, which airs or begins on BBC One on Monday, October the 14th at 9pm. It has been a great week for telly. It has. They're showing two episodes a week, by the way. Two so episodes showing Monday a week. and Tuesday. Oh, okay. yeah, Good to know. Talk. Good to know. FYI. Don't miss the second one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So would that be our pick of the week, Dublin Murders? Yes. I, I would agree with that, Boyd. Yeah. I mean, I love I love living with yourself as well. But yeah. Well, I yeah. recommend everyone yeah. watch all four of these. Yeah. I genuinely think, I know you guys didn't love Modern Love no, or no, no. Giri Haji quite as much, but <laughs> I think all four of these are properly good shows and I'm going to watch all of them. We modern um, liked. Yes, yeah. yes we did. Yes we did. Right, now time 
for the Banshee segment, where we, as ever, find a TV show from ages past and resurrect it Frankenstein-like uh, for your modern viewing pleasure. Boyd, do you have something for us? I do, yeah. I was thinking, you know, last week I was, I was talking about Everybody Loves Chris, and the reason I, I mentioned it was Everybody because, hates Chris. Sorry, Everybody Hates Chris. The sequel, Everybody Loves yeah, Chris, has not yet everybody been made. Chris, thank you. <laughs> um, was because um, it's really difficult to get hold of the first series anywhere mm. in the world, and I was thinking of things that were difficult to get hold of. That was my leak. And I remember that I spent ages and ages trying to find a copy of this show. So when I f- first watched it on BBC Two, back in 2005, I thought it was hysterically funny. It's a comedy. Sorry. Um, incredible cast. It's created by John Morton, who did 2012 and W1A, and he's a comedy genius, I think, and he revels in silliness and stupid names and stupid ladies. And this is called Broken News, and it was a only lasted for one series. People accused it of being a day-to-day rip-off. You know the Chris Morris yeah. show, mm. which of course established Alan Partridge, which was a piss take of news, TV news, incredibly ahead of its time. Mm. But actually, Broken News, it does share elements, but it's really reveling in the silliness of all different types of TV. So it's like this format is switching between different cable channels, like local news, proper national news, entertainment news. There's a brilliant piss of celebrity entertainment news, you know, when you get some a, a, a flamboyant guy reveling in Hollywood gossip and stuff. It's got a film review section, which is really funny, taking the piss out of a very earnest, pretentious film reviewer who hates everything. It's got an incredible cast, including Nicola Walker, Sharon Horgan, <laughs> and Benedict fucking Cumberbatch playing an international correspondent in what is essentially a frothy, silly sketch show. It's really, really funny. It's quite hard to get hold of, but I think you'll be able to find it possibly on DVD That's good. if you really go for it. Yeah, no, I've broken never news. heard of that. But it's funny because Benedict Cumberbatch was like the sort of yeah. uh, sort of random supporting actor for years exactly. who was just like on the periphery of things. Yeah, yeah. That is the purest banshee that we've ever banshee. had. Oh. Thanks. I mean, do I even bother at this point? No. No. <laughs> anyway, that was the Pilot TV podcast. No, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so I, I, to Banshee, I need to get through something before you get to the Banshee. So I want to talk about 21 Jump Street, but that is not my Banshee. Okay? So Classic. You guys have seen 21 Jump Street, right? And yes. I don't mean the the, the film and film, the 22 no. Jump Street. I mean the original 21 yes. Jump Street, which began in 1987, ran to 1991, so five seasons. And this is what made Johnny Depp famous, essentially. Uh, so this was a... This was a a procedural cop show but they were young looking cops young enough that they would then go undercover in high schools uncovering uh, you know sort of uh, rape cases and drug cases at these schools and and it had a bunch of people in it. The, the guest star list for 21 Jump Street was off the chain so people who have guest starred in 21 Jump Street include Josh Brolin Bridget Fonda Jada Pinkett Smith Brad Pitt Vince Vaughn Shannon Doherty John Waters Rosie Perez Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Mario Van Peebles Christina Applegate Paulie Shaw, Jason Priestley, Thomas Hayden Church, Sherilyn Fenn, and Peter Berg. That's quite a lot of people. Have you got to your banshee yeah. yet? No. What is no. happening? Yeah. Not yet. What is Not happening? Yet. Not yet. So, but, but well, you stopped is... as if you had got to the yeah. banshee. I, was I ex- thought I'd like missed the bit <laughs> where, you, where you segued from 21 Jump Street, no. which is not your no. banshee. This is to still your the prologue to the banshee. Oh okay, 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 okay. So, so for 21 Jump Street, this ran for five seasons, but, but Johnny Depp left after season four, and Fox never even showed the fifth season. It was only shown in syndication. So it was a slightly random satellite end to this, and they never, ever, ever addressed the fact that Johnny Depp's character had fucked off. Like, it was never, ever mentioned. So no one ever knows what happened. Still hasn't got to his bunch. No. no but... What has that starring list of people, of cameos, got to do with... I'm laying the groundwork. <laughs> Stop backseat bansheeing. Right. Anyway. So there was a character oh. in 21 Jump Street called Dennis Booker, played by Richard Greco. Yeah? 
Mm-hmm. No, you know who I mean. Mm-hmm. He was in. He was. No, he was. No, weirdly enough, Richard Greco was in a really weird, uh, <laughs> sort of pseudo erotic movie where he was a werecat. <laughs> oh my! God. Which I know because I saw it late night on Sky once in the nineties. It was really <laughs> fucking weird. Soft porn, Richard Greco and cats. Look it up. It's probably called Cats or something. I don't know, but it'd be on his IMDb page. I highly recommend you don't watch that. But that is not my banshee either. My banshee is. <laughs> oh my god! This is pure chaos. <laughs> no, my banshee I'm is. I'm actually sweating now. <laughs> Tension and stress. Dennis Booker, oh. who was a character in 21 Jump Street, was... But none of the ones listed earlier. <laughs> was played by Richard Greco, and he was spun off into, into a show called Booker, oh. which was the 21 Jump Street spin-off series. Wow. And this was the second show that came out. And in this, he kind of works for... <laughs> He's no longer a cop. He's been hired by this Japanese company to investigate suspicious insurance <laughs> claims. Absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, and he's a kind of sort of iconoclastic, hating authority type character. But he works for an insurance company. Yes, yes, yes. And Laurie Petty joined this at one point. She was in it. It only ran for one season. Uh, it didn't do very well. People didn't like it. I really loved Booker because I'd never seen... I only an saw... insurance broker at work. <laughs> yes, I loved his insurance shenanigans. But the best part of this is, so I I watched this, it, like, 20, uh, it was way, way, way back when, and Sky One would show 21 Jump Street, but Booker could only be viewed by me on this random German channel. So remember, back in the 90s, your Sky subscription would include things like RTL and slightly odd mm-hmm. German things. Now, most teenage boys would watch RTL because there was boobs on it at various points. I was going to say, wasn't this porn? <laughs> Including, as I recall, a game show called Tutti Frutti, where if you got the questions right you got to get naked and if you got the questions wrong you had to get naked it was very bizarre I don't really understand Germany who's you anyway anyway as I'm saying I used to have to watch Booker on one of these German channels where it was in English with German subtitles and that is how I remember Dennis Booker in English with German subtitles it ran for one year in 1989 I almost certainly don't think you can buy this anywhere but you can probably find it on YouTube I would think with or without the subtitles and that you miss- is my banshee <laughs> <laughs> you missed out the key fact that the, the, the theme was Hot in the City by Billy Idol was that the key yeah. that's the key t- that was wasn't it yeah. I, that's coming back to me now I'd yeah. forgotten all about that because it had like pictures of the skyscrapers I'm not, I'm not going the to, to say any more about no. it I'm just saying okay. yeah. so Terry I win yes excellent right my man she wins <laughs> and that is it I feel like you need to be like <laughs> medicated or sedated I might just put a, like one of those tranquilizer darts in you to just to see if Excuse you like me. makes you shut the fuck up you just talk non-stop for about for like 12 minutes not about your banshee in a way to sell your banshee i do feel like you should win something for whatever just happened which i don't even know how to describe it but boyd's is literally the most perfect banshee at all it's so good we should rename the section right broken news i i i'm i'm do not appreciate that characterization. <laughs> Ashley B thought I was sweet. Thank you very much. Um, right. That is it for this episode of the Pilot TV mm-hmm. podcast. As ever, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, at this point, we'd normally ask you to sling a five-star rating our way on iTunes. But uh, honestly, by now, if you haven't given us a review, I'm just going to assume you don't love us and never will. It's fine. It's fine. <sighs> anyway, we are, however... <laughs> open to professions of adoration on Instagram and Twitter at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, at Terry underscore White. And you can follow this week's guest and future co-host, uh, Ashlyn B on at We Miss B. Uh, we will be back next week, hopefully answering the age-old question of who watches The Watchmen with us. Pilot out. <laughs>